Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. It's true, isn't it? Our culture builds into itself an escape plan towards ease and comfort, away from pain, away from danger. And yet 47 bags represent 47 people who are doing the exact opposite. They're going to embrace suffering. They're moving away from comfort towards discomfort, away from easy to doing that which is challenging and and perhaps hard. 47 people have declared themselves missionaries, even for a short period of time, and they're going to take with them something that's familiar in order to engage what is unfamiliar. Their bag is the only thing that they get to take with them from this culture, from everything that they know, everything that's safe, to embrace a life of unknown. And Pastor Jeremy, I'm glad that you're with us this morning. 47 missionaries are heading off tonight at 8.30 to, uh, we're going to go sleep at the airport because our flight leaves at 6. We have to be in, at the ticket counter at 4 a.m. to get through security. And so our suffering will actually begin at the airport tonight, sleeping there. <laughs> But I look at these bags and I, I, I think of each person that these bags represent later on this morning will commission all of them as missionaries being sent from this local body to participate in what God is already at work doing in the great country of El Salvador. This morning, if you're with us on Facebook, you can like us, uh, you can join us on the social media. Perhaps you'll tweet out or put on Facebook It's about the go. It's about the go. That video that you just saw was excerpts from uh, a a talk that John Piper uh, has, has given. Very challenging, I thought. And he references it. A missionary theology. If you have a God centered theology, you must have a missionary theology. It's about the go, about going to where God is already at work. It's a reference to. Matthew chapter 28, which we'll start this morning in that text. If you've got your Bible, you can open it up or turn it on to Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. This is where we get the great commission that perhaps you've heard uh, referred to in our faith. The great commission, the commissioning of the disciples of Jesus just prior to his departure, which is where we find ourselves uh, in the timeline of the story of Christ. And so in this moment, his disciples are meeting him. Verse 16 of chapter 28 in Matthew says, Then the eleven disciples went to, uh, to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. That first verse speaks to their obedience already. Jesus told them to go to a mountain where he was already at, where he was going to be. Those of us who have accepted the call to El Salvador know that Jesus is already there. We're simply going to meet him there. Our, our flight takes a little bit longer though. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love, I love that the Bible is completely open and honest. This is why I find it believable and credible. If it was stories of myths and fables and legends, you wouldn't include things like, and eh, some doubted. And yet it's very plain, very real, that there is doubt at times in the walk we call faith. 
When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you even till the end of the age. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. Do you believe that? I believe it. I believe that it, it has been given to him because of the very mission of his life. That his death and his resurrection, his conquering of death, his obedience to God the Father gives him all authority and power. That's why verse 19 says, Therefore, because of verse 18, verse 19 is possible. Because Jesus has all authority and all power, not only in this world, this dimension, but in the greater dimension, the spiritual dimensions, we can go and make disciples. We can go into every nation because Jesus has all authority and all power. Why missions? Why this thing we call missions? Because we are a missional church. We are a sending church. The gospel is about the go. I don't know if you know this, but gospel starts with go, G-O. All right, you got, some of you are like, carry the one. Um. We are a missional church, we're about sending. This is just a window of what we are doing in sending 47 missionaries for nearly two weeks to the wonderful country of El Salvador. Understand, we are not a church with missions. We are not a church with a mission. We are a church on mission. In everything we do, God give us clarity and focus. God keep us from being distracted. Keep us on mission. So many good things in their life that keep us from being focused on the great things. Good things that aren't necessarily eternal keep us from participating in the great things that are eternal. So I constantly pray, God, give us focus as a church. Keep us on mission. I always think about the YMCA. Now they just are referred to as the Y. They've had a little bit of mission drift, haven't they? It's not a bad thing. It would be for our church to have mission drift, to not be about the go, which is what the Great Commission is about to be on the go, wherever you go, whenever you go, however you go, to whomever you go, go. Luke 19 is our text for today as we try to discern God's heart in the mission. Luke chapter 19, we'll start it kind of in the middle of verse 11. As we journey with Christ in the story Just prior to this, verses 1 through 10, is the story of Zacchaeus and his encounter with Jesus. Radical encounter, life-changing encounter. But verse 10 gives us a glimpse of Christ's mission, his business, what he's here for. He says, the Son of Man, referring to himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He states that. Plainly and clearly. Following this story, starting in verse 28, Jesus would make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem 
being perceived as the king, the Messiah. But in between is this parable, uh, a story meant for teaching. So let's read that this morning, starting in verse 11, chapter 19 of Luke. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he'd given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. Master said, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you according to your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man? taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it at least with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. In my head, it sounds more like this. But daddy, that's not fair. (laughs) They already have some. They're whining a little bit. Verse 26, he replied, I tell you, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be, in ki- to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Let's leave on that verse right there. <laughs> Have a blessed day. Everyone who has will be given more, and he who has nothing, even what he does have, will be taken away. I'm I'm trying to do the math on that. You ever read scripture and just completely be confused? What in the world does that mean? The scripture is a parable, it's a teaching. Jesus is trying to open their minds to greater things. In this closing part of this passage, we'll talk a little bit more about He's saying, everyone who has the kingdom, the mind of Christ, the heart of God, will get more. When you have the heart of God, God will give you more of his heart. But when you walk out of knowledge, not relationship, you don't carry God's heart. Even what you do have at at, at one day will be taken from you. So let's unpack some more of the story for us this morning. Jesus is the king and and he's coming back. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus is the king and he's coming back. He's the king in this story. The one who went away to be crowned as king. This is his departure from earth to receive his full crown in heaven to return in that rightful position. He's the conqueror of all, including death. He is the rightful king. 
And there are two people in this story, two groups of people, the servants and the subjects. At first, they're not really even subjects, for he hadn't been crowned as their king, but they knew he would be, and so they sent a delegation to say, no, 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 we don't want you as king. We kind of live in a world like that. We don't want Jesus. We don't want what you're selling. We don't want Jesus as king. We don't need authority in our life. We don't need your scriptures. We're familiar with, with that. And in my own life, at times I've said to God, God, I don't need Jesus as king. I got things under control here. I'm just doing fine. The other group of people are the servants, the ones who are faithful to their king, to their master. He calls his servants to him and says, I'm going away. And I'm going to give you some resources. Take my resources and continue the work until I get back. Continue the mission. Keep the business alive. And so we find that there are servants who, out of relationship, respond. The first two, in fact, are rewarded for what they have done with the resources their master has given them. We're told that because they were given something and did something with it, they were given more. They went from having a, a money resource to having an authority resource. Both of them responded to their master, and to his business. They understood the heart of the master. They understood what his business was about. They were on the go for their master. I think of our our new friend just behind us with his great business called Dunkin' Donuts. Mm, Hallelujah, Jesus. (laughs) It's like he heard our call. Manna from heaven. And every business is looking to expand into new territory. And Dunkin' Donuts, seeing that we had had no light of the gospel of Dunkin', (laughs) chose to expand and evangelize those who were lost in Dunkin' free land. I don't know. This parallel is getting weird. But they spread their message of fattening goodness to us. That all might know the name of Duncan. They want a franchise. They want to expand. They want the name to be known. They want to evangelize Columbia for the theology of donuts. Anub, the owner, the owner of the franchise, puts managers in charge of his business and says... Make this thing go. Take what I want to happen and make it happen. And so it does. And so must we as servants of Christ carry his heart. Not just the knowledge. You understand that two servants that are referenced, they knew the heart of the master. Because they knew the master. And they responded accordingly out of love and understanding of who the master was. And the third responded out of fear, not knowing the master, simply having knowledge and making assumptions based upon that. You see that the third servant responds much differently. Here is your mind. I I was afraid of you. 
Because I knew. You knew? Really? Did you really know the heart of the master? This servant, this subject rather, responds out of fear. I I, I knew you took where you did not put in and, and you harvested where you did not sow. And so this servant is judged accordingly to his own beliefs in who the master was. There is that day of judgment where we're not only judged according to what the scriptures say, but those who walk outside of relationship with Christ will be judged according to how they viewed him. A hard master? It doesn't say that he actually was a hard master, but that servant believed that he was. He was out of relationship. And so he reacted accordingly. And the master says, okay, I'll judge you according to your own words. So if you knew me to be this kind of guy, why didn't you at least invest it? Put it on deposit. Do the minimal amount of work. You didn't even do that. To show me that you're not even faithful with the little that you got. What are we going to have to show Jesus when he returns? When we stand on that great day of judgment for you and for me, and yes, believers will be judged according to our works. Those who are unbelievers will be judged accordingly as well. But what will you have to show Jesus? Hey, look, I, I attended church every time it was open. Every Sunday morning I was there. You know what confounds me is that schools give uh, awards for perfect attendance. What kind of award is that? You showed up. Good job. It's the law, but good job. (laughs) You haven't accomplished anything. You just showed up. The heart of God is that we would take what he's given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we would at least put it on deposit. That's the minimal amount that you can do with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which in our country is the freest resource you have available to you. Invest it at least into your children, into your family, to your coworkers, to your friends, to your neighbors. At least put it on deposit with them that there might be some harvest in their lives. Each servant had a return except for the one who did not have relationship with the master. And in the end, the subjects are referred to as the enemies of God, enemies of the master. This is not the intent of God. This is the will of the people. We don't want you as king. We rebel. We try to overthrow his kingdom. And read those words at the end of that passage, bring them here and kill them in front of me. You think Jesus was trying to make a point? I think that got their attention. What, what did he just say kill? This just got interesting. The point is that those who will not respond to grace, who do not want grace, will in the end receive justice and judgment. That's not the heart of God. That's a consequence of living outside of relationship with Christ is that someday you come to a point where God says to you, your will be done. As C.S. Lewis says, there's only two types of people 
on that day. Those who say to God, your will be done, or whom God says to them, your will be done. Those who truly desire Jesus will never miss heaven. Those who don't want Jesus, it would be a punishment to make them spend eternity with him in the end. I think the challenge of Christianity is to move beyond knowledge of Jesus, but to truly make him the king of our life. To respond to him in such a way, it says, Jesus, you're my king and it's a pleasure to serve you. To know him, his heart. Kingship is not easy to give up. I'm used to being the king of my life. I make a good king. Turning my life over to the lordship, the kingship, the headship of Jesus is very difficult. It requires that I die. That I give my life to him and let him be king. And So in the story we see that those who carry his heart are in relationship. They know the master. Serving the master becomes easy when you know him. As Christians, our job is to move in redemption and restoration. It's beyond just telling people about how to get off this place called planet Earth. But that God is saving us to something greater. A greater mission, a greater calling to himself and to a world in need of him. Gabe Lyons, the author of the book, The Next Christian, says it this way. We are called to partner in God's restorative work so that the torch of hope is carried until Christ returns. Christ is returning, whether it's tomorrow, 30 years, 50 years, 100 years. When he returns, I want to be found faithful. I want to hear those words, well done, good, faithful servant. Because I understand the heart, because I'm in relationship with the master, with my king. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.